Okay. Welcome to the Opera and Coffee Podcast. I am your host, Candace Shaughnessy, and this is episode number 35, I think. <laughs> I should have looked. Oh, well, it's all good. I can edit later. Um, and we have Rebecca Haas here. Did I say that correctly? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm super psyched to talk to Rebecca. Um, just so you know, I did a giant, like, I did, uh, I went down a rabbit hole on your podcast and I love it. So <laughs> thank you. So I'm psyched to talk to you about all sorts of things. Like I have a lot of questions myself. <laughs> awesome. I'm here for answers or totally. to point um, you in the right direction. Totally. Um, so the first thing that I do want to, I, I always start with is like, what is your story and how did you end up doing what you're doing? Yeah, that's always a complicated question, <laughs> but uh, long answers are the way it goes usually with the whole story. Well, backing up to school, I guess I was a music major. I studied piano and in music school, I learned that you needed to work very hard. And I implicitly learned that you needed to like prove that you were working hard and, you know, people would brag about how many classes they were taking and how little sleep they were getting. And, you know, all these things that are just like proving how miserable you are actually. Yes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and so now I'm like, why did we do this to ourselves? And of course, like it's cultural, it's part of music school, but it's also part of being American or like Western culture. Yeah. And, you know, these things are baked into us that we need to prove ourselves by the work that we do. And that's a really tricky thing for us as musicians, because we love the work that we do and we drive a lot of purpose from it. And it's often really tied up with our identities. So I'm not here to say like, you shouldn't be working hard or you shouldn't think work is important because, you know, these things are so tied together, but we have to make some adjustments in order to coexist peacefully and, you know, have a whole life. So that was the seeds of me learning to work hard at the expense of my own well-being. <laughs> um, <laughs> I feel this and, so hard right now. <laughs> yeah, I think it's such a common story. Yeah. And um, so that was like 2005 that I graduated and I, you know, started working for myself, started teaching piano more and gigging and doing more accompanist work and all that kind of stuff. And then I decided I wanted to go to grad school for collaborative piano. And I was pursuing that in like 2010. And that turned out to be a spectacular failure. Didn't get in anywhere. Got so, so burned out and launched into the, this period of terrible anxiety, which I didn't know I had anxiety, but I did. I have for a long time, but that was just you know, I'm a stoic Midwesterner. That's another part of the, the baked-in culture that led me to not really know that I needed yeah. help or where to seek it or anything like that. It was basically like, wait till it's an SOS before you ask for help. And that's where I was at. So I started going to therapy. I started exercising, which I hadn't been doing regularly. Um, so like my daily walk has been a key part of my life for 12 years now. And that, that level of anxiety hasn't happened again. There was one other bout that was burnout induced in 2017 that, you know, when that happens, we have to reassess and we have to 
make some changes. So that definitely happened both times and led me to think about myself as a whole human being, not just a machine that needed to keep working. And after the 2017 burnout, I started working more on composing and that kind of happened concurrently, which was Hmm. interesting that I was able to keep that up. But that was the lesson that composing was something that filled me up more than teaching 30 piano students, for instance, as an introvert, which now I'm like, why did I, why did I do that? Why did I force myself to do this? So (laughs) yeah. And yeah, so many of us have. And so in that 2016, 2017 period, I started blogging about just kind of what I was working on. And I started to gravitate toward these wellness concepts and start to write about things like, here's how I, here's some healthy habits that I use that are essential to my life and things like that. So I started writing about it and I started talking more to people about it. And I discovered that I was basically informally coaching people on this stuff. And then in 2018, I was like this, I'm doing this already. I might as well make it official. And then I started coaching for creative wellness in 2018. So that has been an evolution for sure. Wow. I also went through a whole thing. Like I went through two rounds of grad school auditions and the first round I didn't get in anywhere either. And I just remember that being so stressful. I took a whole, it was a two year period off to figure, to like reconfigure. And I didn't, I did end up going to graduate school, but the second round, I only got into half the schools. So it's, I don't know. The whole grad school thing is weird. (laughs) Yeah. Are you glad you went? Um, them uh, yes uh because it it brought like it it made me a good teacher let's put it that way um I always joke with people it's the greatest regret but also the most fabulous blessing of my life because I went to liberal arts school in undergrad and I was a music major but I went to liberal arts school so I went to this school where like we were really loved on and it, we, it was a small music department and like, I, and my teachers were really open and like, it was very progressive. And then when I went to grad school, I went to this very traditional old school conservatory mm. and it was like a shift. And it was, and for me, it was the discovery that that sort of atmosphere just did not jive with me at all. Like that mm, was not working for me. Uh-huh. <laughs> so it's just interesting because also that, but I learned a lot from that situation of like being in this environment for two years that didn't work and yeah, why and you don't work, know until you know. you're in it sometimes. No. So yeah, no. you learn by experiencing sometimes what you don't like. Yeah. And I actually, I'll have students come to me now cause I teach college and they'll be like, Oh, I want to go to graduate school. And I'm like, really think about that really consider like if you actually want to go and why you want to go because I I will just be frank I went because other people told me I should go and that's mm-hmm. a bad reason to go to grad school yeah that's not yeah. the right reason you know yeah my reason looking back was that I didn't quite I wasn't very happy with my day job. I just wasn't happy with what was happening in my life. And I was like, well, here's something different and I can move away and go to school. And there's a path that I can follow that's set out for me. And I'm really glad it didn't work out because I don't think that was the path for me. I love 
being an accompanist and I yeah. or collaborative piano, I still do it. But as the thing that I want to focus on and spend, you know, five figures on, yeah, I, that would have been a good choice. I don't think I would have been happy yeah. only doing that for two years. So yeah, it was devastating at the time and forced me to reevaluate everything, but it had to happen. So it yeah. had to happen. And I'll tell you too, like, I mean, I know a few accompanists that I work with in my school who didn't go to school at all, like even for a bachelor's degree, like they just worked and worked and worked until they worked their way up to be out of college, accompanying musical theater students. <laughs> like, nice. Yeah. So like, you know, I don't know. I think people get really hung up on this very traditional path, you know, and then it's like, but there are people that don't do that and they're, you know, they're fine. <laughs> Yeah. I've never been able to, I've tried to fit myself into a number of boxes over the years and I don't fit into a box. (laughs) That's, that's a good thing. I think so too. You know, it's more complicated, but it's good. Yeah. I like boxes, but I like to paint them pretty colors. (laughs) Right. Or like have your hand in one and your foot in the other one and multi-passionate things. Yes. Yes. Multi-passionate. Um, so I'm really fascinated by this whole idea of compassionate productivity and like what that means, because like when I hear compassion, when I hear productivity, they're like, they, they don't go together very easily, Yeah, but you make them go together. So can you talk about that a little bit more? Yeah, definitely. So I contrast compassionate productivity with like toxic productivity culture, (laughs) which is a term I've heard people use a lot. And, you know, that's kind of what I was describing as in the music school experience or just American culture and all of these things. So I started to time block my schedule sometime around that burnout period in like 2016, 2017. But the way that I approached it was like scheduling every minute of my day. And then it was like, oh no, I'm 15 minutes behind. I'm failing. This is terrible. How am I ever going to get back on track? But basically what I did was make myself into my own mean boss and make it so I couldn't possibly uphold the thing that I was trying to do. And, you know, we have, if you're someone who teaches private lessons, you are really like on the clock on a schedule and you oh, need yeah. to keep that. But I was doing that even in my work time at home before I would start teaching for the day. And during the pandemic, we were all kind of shocked at the beginning, right? And like nothing was normal. We kind of were figuring things out for a while. And I was just kind of being freestyle ish with my schedule for a while, because I needed that space to just kind of process everything. But then after a few weeks, I was like, all right, I'm a person who needs structure. It's time for me to create some structure here. And since like everything was canceled, it was like almost a blank slate, except I was, you know, doing coaching appointments, but those were random. They weren't like same time every week kind of things at that point. And so I was thinking to myself, okay, I'm going to try time blocking in, but I cannot do it the way I did it before. I don't have the energy for that. That isn't going to work for me. I don't want that to work for me. You know, I want to be a person and not a machine. And so I started experimenting with, okay, how can I do this so that I feel good 
cat, sorry. (laughs) How can I do this so that I feel good about my schedule so that I have room for breaks so that I can change things around if I don't have the energy to finish this project today? Because, you know, we were in an abnormal time, but even when you're not in an abnormal time, we're humans with needs. We have bodies that have needs. I remember when I was teaching so much, I like, wouldn't drink water because it was inconvenient to take bathroom breaks. Yes. <laughs> like, oh, it's man. like the most basic of needs, right? Oh, I used to do the same thing when I was young. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so I thought, why do we have to hold ourselves to these standards? I don't think we should do this. And so I started to think about what does compassionate productivity mean? And I came up with this definition that was productivity with a purpose. So basically like intentional productivity Mm -hmm. and it gets to be defined by you individually. It gets to be defined by you on this day at this time, because if I say like, okay, how, how can I be productive this morning? I'm more of a morning person. I do critical thinking stuff in the morning. If I can, that doesn't work in the afternoon if I'm having a tired slump, you know, so I need to flex with my energy cycles that that is a key part of compassionate productivity too. So it's finding some sense of structure based on what you need, but also having that flexibility to be a human basically. Yeah. Yeah. That I love that because I think we do. We also and I think part of this is music school slash I work in a theater school. There are two sides of the same coin, very similar yeah. situations, but it's this whole like, oh, if you're not doing it every single day, and if you're not sitting in a practice room for four hours at a time and like this crazy, just like, I mean, it's almost fed to you. Right. And that I think then when you get out of school, you feel like, oh my gosh, if I'm not doing this all the time, I'm failing. Yeah. And that is not true. That's no. like, <laughs> it's also unreasonable. Like yes. there's going to be times where you're going to be able to be very structured. And I know that about myself. Like I am also a person that thrives in at least some semblance of structure. I have to keep a schedule. I have to generally do the same things at the same time, but there are days that that doesn't work. Yeah. It just doesn't work. And that's okay. Yep. And it used to drive me crazy if it didn't work, but now I'm like, no, you have to be flexible, Candace. It's fine. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. And let it work. Yes. And that's you exercising in compassion. Right. Okay. I understand this now. Yeah. Compassion, productivity. You know, that's you're cool. giving yourself what you need basically in the course yeah. of carrying out the work that you want to be doing. I love it. I love it. Um, so, and you also talk about like self-care and the creative process. Um, yeah. Oh, there's Kitty again. <laughs> Causing trouble. Mr. Causing trouble, trouble. Boss. That's okay. He's allowed to cause trouble. Um, so self-care in the creative process. Now, I admittedly am a person who struggles with like being consistently creative. Um, there are days that it's great and I can sit down and do it. And there are days that like, I talk myself out of it or like, and I, or, or yeah, I'll talk myself out of it. I'm really good at that. Or I'll be like, I'm too busy or I have too much to do. And part of me knows that that's not true. And part of me knows that, you know, 
I should be doing something creative and then I should on myself. Yeah. It's a vicious cycle. Um, But then you talk about self-care and like, so how are those two related? Like self-care and the creative process. I think that they feed each other Okay. and that we can't truly show up and engage in our creativity at our best. If Mm -hmm. we're not physically at our best, if we're not mentally at our best. And I also just want to say that self-care has a lot of cliches attached to it. There's a lot of like Instagrammable self-care. And we think about like spa days and bath bombs and all that kind of stuff, (laughs) which I'm not here to knock. I think they're great, but there's so much more. I I define self-care as anything that helps you replenish energy. So maybe that's exercise. Maybe that's taking a nap. Maybe that is calling the dentist after putting it off for a month because it's just like really eating away at you. Um, the boring self-care is self-care Do you too. See my reminders and the one that's like <laughs> call eye doctor. I <laughs> like somehow I, I sensed it. You sensed it. You knew, you knew Rebecca. Oh. And I need anyway. to call my dentist. That's why I'm thinking see, about it too. Right? Uh, yeah. It's such a thing. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and when I talk about like, we need to feed ourselves with self-care that replenishes our energy. I also don't want it to seem like we have to do it perfectly because then self-care mm-hmm. becomes another to-do list item or another way for us to criticize ourselves. And we can accomplish self-care. I don't even want to say accomplish. We can give ourselves sure. self-care in small doses like really small doses. Sometimes I'll take a break for five minutes and I just need to get away from a screen and I need to walk around the block and I feel like a new person. Or maybe I'm really thirsty and I go chug some water and I'm like, oh, I feel good about life again. Okay, cool. You know, Mm -hmm. so we underestimate these really small things and there are a lot of different ways that we can replenish our energy and those are also going to change. So it really does tie in with compassionate productivity as well. Yeah. We need to flex with our needs. So, and I also want to go back to what you said about finding the time to be creative and that you find it hard to be consistent. Yeah. The idea of consistency, we have a very rigid, rigid definition of that sometimes too, because sometimes Mm -hmm. we hear consistency and we think that's daily and that's like daily for an hour or, you know, insert whatever lofty expectation you have, but maybe consistency is trying to do it every day but you really do it like four days a week, but it still happens regularly. Right. I'm a small bites composer. Like I compose Mm -hmm. in small little bits. I've done hundred day projects where I compose eight measures a day. And it seems funny that that would work because you get interrupted, but like within the midst of other things in our lives, sometimes that's the perfect amount to just like get you excited, get you moving on in the next step of the process. Sometimes you really do need to work longer to get into a flow state and feel really satisfied. You can make space for that once a week or once every couple of weeks or, you know, whatever fits into your life. So I just want to affirm to anyone listening who's like, oh, I can't be consistent either. Consistent is like over a longer period of time. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really interesting because one of the things that I started to do, because I've always I think it's a singer problem. I have struggled to practice my entire life. Singers, like we struggle with the word practice. <laughs> it's also because like practice can be us singing in the car, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or like just 
you know, or singing to yourself on the street in New York. That tends to happen with people a lot anyway, but <laughs> welcome, welcome to New York city. People sing to themselves in the subway. I'm like, live your best life friend. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes. you know? You're like, Oh, sounds good. Mm, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, I'm like, Hmm, here's my business card. No, I don't do that. Um, <laughs> I do not do that. Um, but in truth, it's like, you know, one of the things that I've is a lot of my students, they'll graduate from college, they get a job and like their life is crazy and they're pulled in all different directions. And they'll always say, Candace, I don't have time to practice. And I'm like, this is what I do friends. One exercise. If you feel better, do two. If you feel better, do three. But if all that you can do, or even just sing through a song, I don't care if it's karaoke, like open YouTube, sing through something you love. Cool. That can be practiced for the day because yeah. at least you did something and they're like exactly. but that's not I'm like okay take away all of the thought those crazy thoughts and just think of it as I'm just gonna sing today like because I think we get very hard on ourselves and we go if we're not doing in voice world like if we're not doing our humming and our SOVT exercises and this that and the other thing and I'm not doing my belt exercises and like what if you don't have time what if you don't yeah. have the mental energy for me, it's usually mental energy. Like yeah. what if you don't have the mental energy, but you have the energy to sit down and sing karaoke for 10 minutes. Hey, that's better than nothing. Like I'll take yeah. it. You know? And convincing yourself to start is the toughest. sell oh, usually. Yes. So like, oh. if you can trick yourself into that one song, that's brilliant because you're like, Oh, Hey, I sound good. I'm going to do something else. Or yes, this feels great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's totally like, and, and literally I tell my students, I'm like, because this is what I have to do. I am not any different than you. Yeah. <laughs> like, I have to do the same thing. I'll be like, oh, I have a coaching on Friday. I need to like go through all of this music. But then I'm like, no, you just need to do like one song because I will overwhelm myself and be like, if I don't do it perfectly and I don't do everything that I'm a failure. And that's ridiculous. Yeah. But yeah. That's the difference between the. Of. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The, the difference between the good enough small mm -hmm. version and the ideal version can feel so huge, but you're totally yeah. right. We don't have to hold ourselves to that standard every day because that's not how real life works. No, most of the time. No. And, you know, um, I, I lived eight years of my life. I lived a double life and I was a public school music teacher during the day. Mm -hmm. And then yes. I was like a singer and I was teaching private lessons at night and had absolutely no life. I also had a church job. When I think wow. about that now, I'm like, yeah. I was insane. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was in my like mid twenties. I was insane. Um, but more energy I, back then. Right, probably I had more energy. Yeah. I did. <laughs> yeah. And also like I live in New York city now and I don't have a car, but at the time I lived mm -hmm. in Pittsburgh and had a car. Sure. So I could drive between everything. It's very different. Yeah. But also like literally back then, sometimes my practice time was legitimately in the car. Like it was going mm -hmm. from one thing to the next. And so I remember getting into a state one day where I was just like, well, Candace, you got to go over this recitative somehow. And so I'd like, just do it in the car. And I've now talked to singers because I think we were always afraid to talk about things like that, but now people sure. are more open about it, right? Yeah. And so I've talked to other singers and like, oh yeah, I totally like would sing in the car. <laughs> I'm like, uh, 
see we're not all that different (laughs) yeah well and it's ironic like music teachers sometimes have the least time and energy to like quote unquote do music and then you'll talk to people and they'll be like cool you you get to do music all the time and it's like no it's a really hard balance to balance being an educator and a performer because any minute you're not teaching, at least in the, in my case, cause I also taught little kids. Mm. I did teach middle school for a short period of time, but I mostly taught like K through five. And what people don't understand is those kids got to move the entire time. Like they have yes. to be doing something and occupied, um, for 45 minutes and you get maybe one prep period a day. At least I did here in New York. I used to get two in Pittsburgh, but it depended on the school. So it's like, you got one 45 minute block to plan and grade and make sure that all your stuff is put out the correct way and all the rest of it. And then everything else is like you being on and teaching, which is a very different like function of your brain. And yeah, you have no time. And, and when you're talking about like, you used to dehydrate yourself and not drink water. Yeah. I totally did that because like I had to watch the kids in the hall and then I had to watch when they came in. And like, if I had time to go to the bathroom, it was like, like, and I was literally, I kid you not 10 feet from a bathroom and I couldn't get to the bathroom. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And we want to pack our schedule. Yeah. Like as a private teacher, even when you set your own schedule, you don't want too many breaks so that your day stretches on longer, but Mm -hmm. like, you got to have a break to do these basic things like eating and drinking and using the bathroom. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I remember when I moved out of public school and into like private teaching more and teaching in college. Now in college, it's different because you're not dealing with like kindergartners, obviously. Um, but I can literally look at my student and I'll just be like, Hey, I got to run to the restroom. Just like uh, you can sit down and look at whatever you want to look at with your music. I will be right back. And they cool, whatever. But like, I'll do that now. And it's so weird for years. I never had the want to self-advocate for any of that. Yeah. That's yeah. I don't know. And you're showing them that you can do that too, which is great. Right. Exactly. You're modeling it. Right. True story. So anyway, that was me going on a very long rant about my (laughs) teaching public school. Yeah. Um, So I listened to one of your podcasts and I loved it. And I want you to talk more about it. You talk about Magic Mondays. Oh, yeah. Talk more about Magic Mondays. Sure. So Magic Monday is a little ritual that I like to do on Monday mornings because my schedule during the school school year typically has been some work on Saturday mornings and a rehearsal on Monday evenings. So I wanted to make sure that I didn't start work at, you know, 9am on Monday morning or whatever. Cause I knew I would accidentally mm-hmm. work 12 hours on Monday and then on Tuesday be too exhausted to do anything. Yeah. And that's not sustainable. So what I have done, and this started during the pandemic and I live in Northern California where it is warm enough to go hiking all year round or go to a park or something. So like every Monday I'd pick a spot to go to, that's either a place I haven't hiked before, or just like walk to a far off place that's in my neighborhood. That's like a longer walk, a sort of walking adventure of some kind, whatever I felt drawn to that day. And sometimes 
I would like sit on a bench and journal. Sometimes that wouldn't really happen. And I would just kind of like think and, you know, ponder different things, but it like gives my brain a chance to stretch out and just think about what I want and big picture things and just like give me the space to enjoy myself and indulge in curiosity. And I just said indulge because it feels like we don't have the time for that or we don't have the space to have that in our lives. So like, Mm -hmm. it feels very magical to have that morning to do whatever I am just drawn to. So that has been my ritual for the last couple of years. Yeah. And have you like, do you feel like, I mean, it can have many benefits, I'm sure. But do you feel like that has made you more creative because you take that time for yourself to do that thing? Yeah, definitely. And I wish, I mean, maybe I still can, but I want to have that more than once a week because that energy doesn't last the whole week long. Oh, preach. Yeah. It still lasts through Monday and maybe Tuesday. And then I'm like, Mm -hmm. oh, you know, I'm back in that sort of getting through the week mode. So I need some way to have like an interlude on like Thursday or something to right more magic, but you know, it doesn't have to be a, a three hour hike. It could be a small dose of something. I'm all about the small, but impactful things. So Right. Yeah. I think it does really open up creativity because I tend to go towards things that are really inspiring and I'll pull out my phone. I have this seek app that identifies plants Mm -hmm. and I've lived in California for three years, but I'm still learning about the foliage. And there's Mm -hmm. so many things that I'm like, what is this? This is so cool. And I'll just walk around like trying to identify plants and Huh. Like enjoying my surroundings or I'll be like, oh, that little free library. I always drive by. I'm going to see what's in there. And like, yeah. I live in Berkeley. There's all these weird little things that you don't <laughs> notice unless you're on foot. So it's just like, wow, that person's house looks really cool. Or this person created a mini art gallery outside their house. That's awesome. You know, mm-hmm. I just try to seek out those little moments. Gems. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I am an avid people watcher and I think it comes mm. from being like an, an introvert. Mm-hmm. Like I will go, this is so weird. I hope you all don't think I'm totally creepy. I will go <laughs> to a mall or I'll go to like, I live in Astoria in New York in Queens, which is a very like walkable flat community. And there's a lot of interesting small shops and things here. And there's lots of like benches where you can sit somewhere um, or I'll go to the mall. And I'll sit somewhere and I just watch people. And I think it's also like the actor within me. I just like to see how people interact and function. But I don't know. I just find that very calming and interesting. (laughs) And so like when you said you do this Magic Mondays thing, I'm like, that is really smart. Because then you have like, you've cleared a space almost. Yeah. And I, that's the other thing that I find tough is like, I'm very much the person that the first thing I open in the morning is my Google calendar. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like, what do I have to do today? And then it's like, okay, but where is there space, you know, like a mental space to just kind Mm -hmm. of let your brain, let the land lie fallow with your brain, you know? Yes. And uh, that, I just thought that was really cool. I, I don't forget which um, podcast that was. It was recent, I think, but I was like, oh. yeah, I'm taking a little break this summer right? and doing some reruns. So that one's from a little bit ago, but yeah, I think I just 
re-ran that one yeah you just re-ran it yeah no it's it was great y'all should go listen to it um so so this is also I, i'm wondering this because i know what my struggles are as a creative person but like what is the struggle you see the most often in your clients as a creative creativity coach I think it is being overwhelmed by doing a lot of different things. I've even noticed a pattern in my clients sometimes that they have multiple coaches at once. And I'm like, that sounds overwhelming. Not because I don't want them to talk to another coach. It's like, oh, a career coach and a creative, it's different types of coaches. But I'm like, how are you like, how do you have the mental energy to actually like do this work with multiple people at the same time? But people who are multi-passionate tend to be drawn to my work. Mm-hmm. Artists tend to be multi-passionate. Uh, multi-passionate people also tend to be overwhelmed. And I focus mm-hmm. a lot on the burnout and overwhelm and, you know, helping us get through that in order to make the space for the stuff that we really want to be doing and focus on that. So I think just figuring out how not to be overwhelmed in a really general sense. And sometimes that's like, maybe people like the past version of you who are trying to teach and perform and Mm -hmm. do like multiple work things at once and juggle them all. Maybe it is someone who has a day job that's totally unrelated. Like I worked with someone who was a lawyer and who was trying to release an album and just like needed someone to talk to about it and just like keep them on track and focused because she didn't have a lot of people in her life that sure we're doing the same thing. And sometimes it's the people who are like, I am just so burned out. I don't even know what to do right now because I can't even think. And then we look at, okay, what does your life look like right now? Like, what are you doing for yourself? What could we tweak a little bit? How can you reflect on how you're feeling and like react to that and make changes as needed. And then we work into, you know, more of the, okay, here's now we can talk about creativity, but sometimes you just have to clear away and get to like a baseline before you can even start to think about creativity. Yeah. Yeah. I know the thing, one of the things I always struggle with, and I, I think this is from my years as a freelance musician, but I'm always like, is this going to make money? Right. (laughs) Yes. And a lot, I have to remind myself really often that sometimes it's not about that at all. Sometimes it's just turning the wheels. Like you have to go do something and, you know, and my mom is, um, she's a respiratory therapist. I Mm. come from two parents that are in the medical field, but my mom has always painted Cool. and it was, has always been part of her life. And I always saw my mom have this like um, this thing that she does. I love seeing kitties. Sorry. I got distracted. <laughs> <laughs> so people will hear Mr. that. Trouble pause is here. No, nah, he's so cute though. He's so um, cute. so my, uh, but my mom would always paint and it was never for financial gain. It was just for her, you know, and they're beautiful paintings, but they're only for her, like her, or if a friend wanted her to do a painting, she'd do it for them or a mural. She's doing murals. Um, and that is actually the tough thing for me because for years it was like, I have to pay my bills. I'm the only one that's responsible for my income. Like, you know, that sort of thing. That's definitely like my deep struggle with creativity for sure. 
I guess that's the other type of overwhelm I should have mentioned the people <laughs> who are like, how can I make money with this? Either because they're in a freelance scenario or they're like, I have this day job, but I want to be making money from art. Right. And then right. that reality, yes, I do have to pay the bills. And then there's that whole spectrum of like the flexibility of being free to create your own thing and the stability of having something regular. And like, there's a lot of different places you can fall on that spectrum and different combinations. And that right. can be really overwhelming to figure out like what you're comfortable with in terms of stability of income and, you know, how comfortable you are with not being flexible in your schedule. And then, you know, mm -hmm. a lot of artists are like, oh no, like having a day job, I suddenly feel really boxed in by this. And then right. that becomes challenging too. So yeah, many different types of overwhelm. Yeah. <laughs> that's just, that's so interesting. And it's such a wide range of people, Yes, you know, different people have different struggles Right. where, you know, you have this lawyer who's trying to put out an album and, you know, then you have the people that are trying to make a living out of their creativity and people that aren't or have a day job. And yeah. Wow. That's really interesting. Huh? Cool. I've noticed the thread that tends to run through it is people being multi-passionate though. Yeah. 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 And I am too. I've never really said like, this is my label and like really own that label, but like, mm -hmm. that's me. <laughs> I'm definitely multi-passionate. I had a, I have had many, many, a, you know, a coach, voice teacher, what have you say, like, you have to be like, if you're going to be a performer, you have to put blinders on and you have to just like go for the opera, like the very traditional opera career path, which is what I was on for a long time. And it's like, and now that I'm older, I finally been like, you know what? I don't agree. I, I, and I don't think that I would be happy. I have friends that are very happy with that very traditional path and like good for them. Yeah. That was never going to be me. I, I yeah. always knew I was going to teach. I love teaching. So that was always mm -hmm. going to be part of my life. And I just, uh, frankly, like I'm interested in a lot of different things. Yeah. Like, like you are. And I just would find it boring to only do one thing all the time. <laughs> like, yes. You know, there's so much out there that you can explore and, and, and it's so cool that you compose too. Like that is really awesome. And then I think in one of your podcasts, you said you didn't start out as a composer that no. came later Yeah. in your life. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely didn't. <laughs> I see my cat climbing on my piano right yeah, now. Yeah, right there. <laughs> He's the subject of composition, so it's perfect. Oh my gosh, but, perfect. <laughs> yeah, I didn't feel comfortable calling myself a composer, even though I had written yeah. some music. It took me a long time to mm -hmm. be brave enough to show other musicians my work. Yeah. 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 How and I was only that did process? that like six years ago. It was scary. Wow. Yeah. So wow. like I took a composition class in high school that was largely useless. That was just us like being on computers and there was little too. to no teaching happening <laughs> yes. about composing. It was just like, well, it was music theory and composition. So you right. could do like the theory quizzes and then you could write stuff. One, four, five, but it was man. independent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like I wrote some music, but I 
don't even remember getting feedback on it really. Like, I don't think there was much of that going on. And then I took one composition class in college where you did get feedback, but I didn't think of myself as a composer just because I took that class. Right. And then it was sort of like, ah, I want to be more creative than just playing classical music all the time. And, you know, I've always been a really visual musician. Like I'm a good sight reader and I'm more comfortable when I can see something in front of me rather than memorizing and playing by ear, even though like I do have a good ear too. Totally. So I think I didn't gravitate towards improvisation and composition as much because it felt like, Ooh, this is like risky in terms of like an anxious brain, not like literally risky, but you know, in terms of how my brain saw that. And I think I just like wanted to do it more and more. And then eventually I started doing it secretly and not really talking about it with anybody. Cause I was like, I don't know. I'm, I don't know if I'm qualified to do this uh, which yeah, was that. my, <laughs> my underlying thought. And there's this amazing composer night in St. Paul, Minnesota, where I used to live called the new ruckus composer night. And this guy who's a composer just hosts it composers come and you can just share your stuff. And the only requirement is that you wrote it and it's original. There was no limits on genre or background or anything. Yeah. And it was just a really friendly place to come and share. And I knew this because I had gone with my trio to play our cellist composition. And I was like, okay, this seems like a good vibe. You know, this doesn't feel scary to me. Cause I think it would have felt scary if I hadn't known how it felt to be there. And I was like, all right, I'm signing up for one. That means I'll have to have part of something finished by mm-hmm. X date. And then mm-hmm. I did, I had a section, I wrote this Brazilian Choro and I had the one section of it finished and I, I dared to go there and play it. And it was a really cool. great experience. Everyone was really friendly and had nice feedback and the organizer said to me, you obviously have a lot of trust in the process. And I was like, really? (laughs) I don't, I'm so scared. Like this is, this is terrifying to me, but looking back on it, I'm like, yeah, I I guess I do have trust in the process. Cause like my piece modulated all over the place. Cause that's what my ears were hearing. That wasn't what I thought I should do to follow the rules or whatever. But like, I, I went with my intuition and I, you know, kept writing what I was hearing. So ever since that validation, not that I had to be validated by somebody else, but like, that was just the little push I needed to be like, okay, I'm, I'm legit. I can do this. I don't have any composition degrees. I don't have like published works, any of this stuff, but like, I can do this. Why not? And like, I really do wholeheartedly believe that you are the thing. If you do the thing and you get to label yourself even though that was scary for me to do for myself. And I fully believe that it's scary for most people to do and that's okay. It takes a little while to own that identity, but, but we can all do it. So yeah. That just reminds me of one of my biggest pet peeves is when people talk about somebody as like an emerging artist. I'm like, (laughs) what? Emerging from what? Emerging from what? Yeah. Like what? Are they, are they like a caterpillar and now they're going to turn to a butterfly? Well, and like, like aren't we always evolving throughout our, our entire lives? Like that's yeah. the goal, right? Like if you're not evolving anymore, it's going to get pretty boring. So you're constantly emerging if you think you're about constantly. it like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you feel, and it, I loved your whole thing where you were like, I did eight bars and I, 
I have done, I've dabbled in composition. Um, so like, but like eight bars, like every day, that sounds so like achievable. You know? Yeah. I'm like, that's was. so smart. Like, because I look at that and I'm like, I'm definitely not like, I wouldn't call myself a composer, but I could do eight bars a day like that. Yeah. Like I could figure that much out, yeah. you know? And I think that that is also you kind of taking the pressure off of yourself of I'm not trying to write the next great American opera. No, I'm not writing yeah. the next great American symphony or even like sonatina for that matter. I'm just no. going to write eight bars of whatever I feel like I'm going to exactly whatever I felt like and sometimes I'd be like all right it's in two four and I'm writing long notes because I'm tired today but I sat down and I did the thing and that's fine and then some days I was more inspired some days stretched into weeks of working on the same thing and the next eight and the next eight sometimes would be more than eight because I was like cool I'm on a roll here but I just knew that I would have to show up and write eight bars. And it was amazing because it desensitized me to caring whether it was good or not. Cause I knew I was going to show up again the next day and do some more. And, mm-hmm. you know, I was posting this on Instagram every day. I'm not sure if anyone saw it or cared or, you know, yeah. was judging me in any way, but just knowing that it was out there made me uphold that commitment. And I don't know if you're yeah. familiar with this as like a global art project, the hundred day project, but like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's been going on for at least a decade now, I think. Right. And people like pick their hashtag and decide what their hundred days is going to be. So I was inspired right. by seeing other people do that. And I thought, well, I want to write more music. I guess this is what I'm doing. Okay. Right. Um, I've done a lot of 30 day ones just because, mm-hmm. That's and good I tell too. I tell my students too, I'm like, I don't necessarily do it. Like maybe this isn't even something that I'm going to add into my like, you know, arsenal as a creator or teacher or whatever, but it's, it's a good exercise. And, and then you figure out, and here's the other thing too. It's like, I like how you said some of it was good. Some of it was not so great, whatever it desensitized me. And I've told a lot of my students, like, They'll be like, I'm so afraid to start going and doing auditions or whatever, insert whatever here, or I wrote my own music and I'm terrified to put it out there. And and I'm like, go do one, go do one more, go do one more. And then after a while, you've desensitized yourself to that fear factor. I think it's like breaking through that, that fear barrier of like, oh my gosh, what I made isn't good. And then you discover that most people don't care. So it's like, okay. <laughs> yeah. like, Which is maybe sad, but it's also really freeing. It's freeing. I think it's freeing. It's like, oh, okay. Not everything I make has to be good. <laughs> yeah. Or like a colleague would say in an offhand way, oh yeah, you're doing that composing project. That's really cool. And it's not that he was like paying attention every day, but it was just yeah. like, oh, you're doing a thing. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Glad to see that. Yeah. And also like when I see people do that, I'm like, that's a great idea. Like I don't ever look at whether or not it's good. <laughs> I'm yeah. Like, right. It's a great idea. <laughs> right. I'm like, you're doing your thing. And I think that's awesome. Yeah. Like, I think that's great. The kitty just jumped down off the piano. No. <laughs> I thought he was going to jump onto the keys. I'm I was surprised he it. didn't. I was like, he was hearing us talk about composition and he was like, yeah, I will now compose. I'm here. Well, the piece I wrote about him is called 
trouble pause or patas de problemas in Portuguese. Oh and it gosh, has a lot of like little clustery stuff like cats walking on the piano. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love it. I love it so much. Yes. He's an inspiration. Now he's sitting right beside <laughs> the podcast mic and he's totally looking at you like, mom, hey. are you done? What yeah. are you doing, mom? <laughs> His automatic feeder goes off in 10 minutes. He's like, oh, he's like what I'm about hungry. right now? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like if I look cute enough, do I get food earlier? Yeah. See, I've had cats my whole life. I know how they work. It's like, <laughs> yes, 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 yes. That's cool. Going back to what you said about desensitizing yourself and get comfortable, getting comfortable. If you had told me like five or six years ago that I would have a podcast and that I would edit it and like enjoy hearing my own voice, I would have told you you were completely nuts. Like, <laughs> I, I was like, no, I hate it. Anytime I had to like announce a piece before playing it, I'm nervous about five seconds of talking way more than I am about playing the entire oh, thing. <laughs> and I really just had to actually, the reason why I became comfortable with it is because I did the music teachers national association certification oh. for private teachers. And so I had yeah. to videotape myself teaching and then watch it and like critique it. And that felt uncomfortable. But by the end of that process, I was like, okay, I don't hate the sound of my voice. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. like that was a victory to like not cringe at myself talking. And then once I started podcasting and editing, it was like, all right. Yeah. I guess I sound kind of smart sometimes. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. And I think too, like, and I know you also know Megan Enan. Yeah. We are, we are both friends with Megan Enan. Um, but one of the things that Megan told me a while ago is she was just like, create and then iterate, like yes. make it. And then as it goes, you can make it better because that's what feedback helps you do. Yeah. As you like slowly, you know, and, and when I started podcasting, I did the same thing. I was just like, I actually had students that were like, Candace, you should write a book. And I was like, that sounds intense and I'm sure <laughs> yeah. I can, but I think I'm going to start a podcast because I'm much better at talking. Yeah. So <laughs> So I ended up going, okay, well, I'm going to start a podcast. And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> and I started it like what, two years ago now. And I'm like, I'm just going to try this and see what happens. And I literally felt like I was finger painting. Like I was like, yeah. okay, but now I kind of have it down to more of a science. It comes out every Tuesday. I have like plans of what I want to talk about. I keep notes on everything. Like, and obviously like I'm looking for people to like, you know, do these kinds of interviews and it's interesting now it's evolved but it started as me going oh let's just try this and see what happens yeah <laughs> you know what I, I think mean? that's so great because you can't possibly know what you're doing until you figure out what you're doing there I, is no way yes. <laughs> to begin without being yeah. a beginner right like that's just the deal <laughs> yeah yeah and one of the things that I teach at school is I teach the business class and we build websites mm. in business class right That's so great I wish we'd had that I when I was know. in school It's a it's a great class it's a fabulous class and the final project is you have a website you present to the class and then I have them do a 5 year plan but that's beyond the point the kitty is so intense <laughs> Yes I lo I love him so much <laughs> Um but in uh in that class i'll have students that are just like oh it's such a terrible it's so it looks so bad i'm like it's your first time building a website child yeah it's going to be like my first website if you saw it 
was a terrifying thing because I didn't know what I was doing. And I was looking up tutorials on YouTube and this was like, this is when YouTube was a different place. Mm-hmm. like in 2010 when mm-hmm. I was like so how do I do this and there were like three videos and there were like two platforms you could build on and it was a very different world and yes did I take classes and get better you bet I went to a class when I was at Miami Music Festival where they taught us how to build on like Squarespace and do it for real and like taught us basic coding things and like but I didn't start there like, right you, know, you gotta <laughs> yeah. start somewhere <laughs> yes one of my favorite exercises is just say like, I'm going to make a bad one first. I'm mm-hmm. just going to make a bad one. Cool. I That's my that. goal. And then it's like, check achieved. And it's yeah. probably actually not that bad, but yeah. we're being critical. So we think it's bad. Yeah. Yeah. And as a voice teacher, sometimes I look at my students and they'll be like, ah, freaking out about a song. I'm like, just sing it and make a mess. I can fix it. But you need to go sing it and make a mess. And then I will fix it when you're done. That's my job. That's why they pay me money. So make a mess first. (laughs) Yeah, you wouldn't be here if you were a master already. Right. And also when you go and first learn how to make art, you sketch and you paint and you just kind of like slap some color on there and then you make it into something. Right. I think we have this fear of making a rough draft. Definitely. You know? Do you know this Ira Glass quote where he talks about the gap between your taste and your ability? I love that one. Yeah. My sister's like, you're going to think that you're not doing well because you have pretty good taste. You've been into this stuff for a while and you're just starting to do it. So you're, it's going to take a while before your taste or your, your ability catches up to your taste. So just make a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Just keep making stuff. You'll get there. Yeah. It's like that story about the potter. And like there, or they split the class into two groups and it's like the one group had to make the most one pot, but it had to be the most beautiful pot. And the other half of the pottery class just had to make like, I think it's a thousand pots or something. Yeah. Yeah. And a thousand pots were actually better Yes. than like, not all of them were great. Some of them were terrible, sure. but overall they made better quality pots than the one beautiful pot. Cause it had been yes. so obsessed over. Right. And they got to practice and they embraced that that's part of the process. Yes. Yes. Totally. I love that. Yeah, for sure. Um, cool. I, I wrote notes. I wanted to be loose, but I wrote some notes. Um, so how, how do you figure out like, um, this is something I struggle with. So guys, you're getting my like five cent coaching here. Um, (laughs) how do you figure out your energy capacity? Like, this is something that I either tend to like blow out my energy capacity. And then I'm like, do I rest more? Do I rest less? Like I, I have a very hard time finding that in myself. Um, and you talk about that a lot. So yeah, I just want to know more. Definitely. Well, I think you just ask yourself more often, which is an mm. annoying answer. Cause it's so simple, but that doesn't mean it's easy. simple and easy don't always coincide, but like I have a practice. I got this from Mara Glatzel who teaches a lot about needs and has this amazing podcast called needy. That's all about, gotta look that up. Yeah. She's amazing. I've learned a Mm -hmm. ton from her. And, um, she just said like, ask yourself the question, what do I need today? And I have that Mm. as a reminder on my phone that I see first thing in the morning every day. And then I take a walk in the morning. So like, I can sort of ponder how am I feeling and sort of like come into the day. 
And what do I need today could be like, I have a headache. I need to drink more water and I need to, you know, take some medicine. I need to be a little easier on myself today. It could be like, I'm really anxious today and I need to be like kind to myself because I'm feeling tender. Um, it could be sure. like, I'm feeling very energetic today. And like, I really need to use that energy on something exciting, like writing music or whatever it may be. So like, it might be something big like that. It could just be you checking in with yourself at a point where you're feeling tired and going, Hmm, could I take a five minute break right now? Could I do something to shake it up? Do I need Mm -hmm. a break from a screen? Do I need a snack? Like, you know, yeah. it might just be a basic item that might really help. Um, so I think, I think it all comes down to reflection. It comes yeah. down to asking yourself the question more often. And if you don't know the answer, that's okay. Mm-hmm. But I think the more you ask, the more likely you're going to find the answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the more that you're teaching yourself that you're worth asking the question, And then that just becomes a habit and just becomes ingrained in like your compassion for yourself. That is such a great answer. Now I have to go look up that podcast. Yeah, it's great. I talk about her all the time because she's wonderful. Yes. Do I need? Yeah. And also know that you are going to blow through your energy capacity and you're going to quote unquote Mm -hmm. fail. Sometimes you're not going to predict it perfectly because you're not a machine, even though you're going to try to it's not going to work sometimes. So just knowing that that is going to happen and that you kind of know what you need to do afterwards when that happens, like say you really overscheduled this week and you feel terrible when it comes to Friday night and you're like, Oh, why did I do that? You might think, why did I do that? But you can also say, all right, maybe I'm not going to go do that fun thing this weekend. Cause I really just need a nap on Saturday and that's okay. And like, what did I learn from this week that I can take with me and maybe not do it as often because that you're is gonna, so yeah, brilliant you're human it's gonna happen oh yeah oh yeah totally no I love that and like I think it's also something that we, I mean I'm from the rust belt so we like we're like friends we like put our hands over to the midwesterners and go hi how you doing yeah Pittsburgh <laughs> like it's like we're similar um but I very much came from that whole like you have to earn your rest. You have to earn. Yeah. You have to like, you have to earn your fun. You have to earn. And like, it's not, it's, it's been such a process for me to be like, it's not, you don't have to earn any of that. Yes. You know, you don't have to earn a break. (laughs) Yeah. It's still a process for me, even though this is my work you know, it's going to be a process. Do you have farmers in your lineage too? Like, I think that was a part of it for me. I think, well, probably far back in the Irish side, everybody was either in the mills. Um, Mm. like Pittsburgh is famous for it's like steel mills. And so mills, a lot of engineers and a lot of medical field people. Sure. Um, and, and I come from a long line, as I say, of, uh, of, and, and, and I'm, I'm glad I am uh, a long line of very caring people who want to help like helpers. I come from a long line of helpers. Um, But I also come from a long line of helpers who um, love to blow through their own capacity. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? 
Yes, um, they do. <laughs> so yeah, and 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 it's beautiful. Like I'm so happy. I am the daughter of two medical field people who really, really are helpers. But um, it's something that I've always had to remember. It's like Candace, you cannot pour from an empty cup. Like you yeah. know, um, because I'm the person that's like, I want to give you all the help and love in the world, but sometimes that's too much. Yeah. You know I mean? And it's challenging when it's not modeled for us growing up. Right. Like I saw my dad work a construction job and work long hours. And when he yes. came home, he was working in the yard constantly. Yes. I interviewed him for a class once and said like, what's your most important value? And he said, work ethic. Like he literally mm-hmm. said that to me and he showed it to me. So like, that's what I saw, even if he hadn't told me that. Yeah. And my mom would see me you know, age like 15 or whatever, wanting to watch a movie on a Saturday morning. Cause I was like, it's the weekend. I'm going to watch a movie. And she'd be like, you're wasting the day away. You know, what are you doing <laughs> with yourself? And I'm like, I'm watching a movie. That's what I want to do with myself right now. So yeah, yeah it's that. harder to overcome when we don't see people modeling it differently, but we're totally. talking about it right now. We're mm-hmm. helping that ripple. We are, we are. And I, tell my students all the time it's like they, they probably think that I am like a worn out tape but I am always <laughs> I am always like please I I know you love your job I know you know I know you love this but your well-being is more important at the end of the day yeah than burning yourself completely out and and I think it's also because like like you were talking about burnout like I've definitely had burnout moments I call them the majors and minors <laughs> I have major burnout, yeah. minor burnout. Oh yeah. Yep. yep. Um, but now I, I know the signs, like you were talking about in one podcast, the red flags and the pink flags. Yes. I was, like, I was just going to oh, say it's that. It's brilliant. I yes. never had words for this and now I do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And if I had had words for that, you know, hang on cat feeder. <laughs> He's really happy right now. He's really happy. It also plays Nintendo music, which I don't know. Oh, it's really funny. I love it. <laughs> but yeah, if I had known about what my pink flags and red flags were a long time ago, oh, I probably wouldn't Me have too. gotten so burned out, but we don't know until we know. And that's how it goes. And then we can learn from it. Yeah. So true. Do I, you have I, any in mind? Like what are your red flags oh, and pink flags that come up? My big red flag, the biggest one is when I hit the, I don't care. Mm, yes. <laughs> if I stop caring, um, if I'm so tired and burnt out and like, I get to work the next day and I'm like, I don't, I don't care. And I don't even want to be here mm-hmm. or I don't even want to be doing this because like, I fought so hard to be a musician full-time as we all do. And I'm like, if, if I hit the, I don't care, or I don't even want to be here, that is a bad sign. That is not yeah. good. Um, in terms of like the less severe ones, cause like, that's like, that's like the, the red alert buttons going off yeah. kind of thing. Like that's, that's bad. Um, the less bad ones are usually just like, actually this happened to me two weeks ago. I got out of work. I had to like go into work and facilitate a panel thing. And I got done and I was so peopled out because it was a panel. And even though I was not on the panel, but I was dealing with like ushering like college students, which is kind of like, you know, herding cats as it were. I love all (laughs) of you that are listening to this, but I'm like herding them in and herding them out and making sure that this, it was on headshots. And, and then whenever it got done, 
I went to go home and I was just, as I call it toasted, like mm-hmm. when your brain just turns into a piece of toast and you can't yes. function. Right. And then I was just like, and, and I was like hungry, but I would rather go to bed. That's also another, that's more like a pink flag for me. That's, mm-hmm. that's a, you need to sleep in tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. And then maybe not do so many like tough things. Um, so that's a pink flag for me. Like if I'm really tired and toasted, then it's like, that's one of them. Um, another one, another pink flag for me is I call it the, uh, the I suck spiral. Mm. So like I'm making something, I'm doing something. This is usually like on my own or if like I'm teaching a lesson and nothing's working, which could not be me. It could be the student, but it also could be me. Um, it's one of those situations then I get into like, like the voices, the tape starts to spin, the eye suck spiral that's. And then if that doesn't go away, that's a, that's a pink flag. That's a, all right, I got to do something for me. Um, yeah, actually just verbalizing that was helpful. Thank you for asking. Yeah, of course. (laughs) Well, and I just want to say if anyone's like, I don't know what mine are. If you start to think about it, you probably will identify a couple oh, yeah. and this keeps coming up again and again. We have to keep trying. We reflect on what happened and we try again. Like we're not going to be perfect at managing our energy. And if you know what your pink flags and your red flags are, that's a huge victory. That's amazing information. Huge. Yeah. No, I, the, the, I don't care one is the one that the first one that I started to notice after I went through a big bout of burnout. And I was like, if I hit the, I don't care we've got a problem like Houston, we have a serious problem and I need to do something. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that one, that one I can always tell because that one I'll, I I'm a big journaler. I will pull out my journal and I'll start writing. Okay. Why, where's this coming from? Like then I have to dig. Um, yeah, no, that's, that's solid. This has been lovely. I, I have loved talking to you. I love talking um, to you too. <laughs> so, um, the last thing I always ask people, just because the, the majority of my listeners are my alumni. Um, so if you could go back to your freshly graduated self from undergrad and you could give yourself advice, what advice would you give yourself? I would tell myself, you don't need to follow a path and that mm. you'll figure it out. And that if you don't have the confidence in that, you can't get it by looking for a predetermined path. You only get the confidence by trying stuff and having life experiences. I think if I had embraced that sooner, I would have started doing things that I was passionate about, but afraid to do a lot sooner. And I wouldn't have felt so held back by my own self-doubts. Yeah. That is so good. That's so good. It's so essential, Uh, more essential now than it was in like 2005 because of like how the internet has evolved. We literally can create our own path and make a website and find people from anywhere in the world. Not that it's easy, but you know, it's process like anything, but like there's so many options available. So yeah, don't be afraid to make your own path. Yeah. And do what makes you feel like you so true. And I even think of like the people that I'm interviewing for this. I mean, you know, even in the past, my sister, 
was in Erie, Pennsylvania. You're in California. I'm in New York. I have somebody from who's doing a gig in New Mexico who's going to be on the podcast. Like, I mean, this was not possible yeah. 20 years ago. No. I mean, that's crazy when you yeah, really think about amazing. it. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Like I this would not have happened. <laughs> and, right. and and if it did happen, you would have had to have probably unbelievable technology to make it happen. But this is yes. technology that we now have everywhere all the uh-huh. time. Yeah. And um and I think in, in some ways, yeah, in your pocket or you know, in your computer or whatever. And that's amazing, you know. And I mean, you graduated in 2005. I graduated in 2010. And like, I tell my students, like, this is a different world that you're going out into compared to what I went out into compared to what you went out into. Yeah. So different. It's so different. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Um, let people know how to find you and what you're up to. Yeah. Thank you for having me. It's been so great. You can find my website at rebeccahaas.com. And when you get there, you can say, I want to look at the music website or the coaching website. And the coaching mm-hmm. website is coachingforcreativewellness.com. Um, and I have a really cool thing called the feel good creativity Unchallenge, which is five days of little prompts for your creativity and your wellness. So you just get these little bite-sized things to do. I made this during the pandemic for all of us who were feeling like we couldn't access our creativity and just needed like a little spark to do something fun and creative. So that's free. And if you sign up, you get an email each day for five days letting you know what your prompt Mm -hmm. is for the day. And those are really, really fun and helped me reconnect with myself as a creative person during the pandemic. So Mm -hmm. if you need a little spark, I highly recommend you check that out. Cool. Cool. Yeah. I, I did it myself and I have to say it was very, very helpful and it's, it doesn't take a lot of time either. Like they're very simple. You have a, uh, Rebecca has it all in a video and like you literally open it and it's like, it's the best. Yeah. So it's video and PDF video and PDF yes. types of learners. I, I totally am like, I am very much a tactile learner, but I'm audio. It's like my second mm-hmm. one. So like, I like mm-hmm. to listen to things. Yeah. Singer problems, you know? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, and some people don't want to take the time to watch a video. So they totally, they just want they to can scan it. it. Yep. Something yeah. for everybody. Totally. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And, uh, I always end my podcast with sing strong friends. (laughs) Thank you so much. You're so welcome.